That's racist. Oh, no. You <laughs> no, can't. you can't be racist against you the Irish. You can never be it's racist fine. against the Irish. Well, the English found a way. <laughs> well, if anyone can, it's the goddamn English. <laughs> Hello, Mission Recall listeners. I'm Oriana Schwint. And I'm Steve Parkhurst. And we're back in the Jones Zone this week. We're having ourselves a little Ford Fiesta with The Fugitive. I'm leaving you. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about The Fugitive this week, which is, of course, the 1993 film based on the 1963 TV series. The script was by Jeb Stewart and David Toohey, directed by Andrew Davis, but... Honestly, all that matters is that Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones turn this movie from kind of a run-of-the-mill guy-has-to-clear-his-name story into a, say it with me, stone-cold classic. Trademark. I can't imagine there's anyone listening to this who hasn't seen it, but you know what, Steve? Refresh our memories. Tell us about The Fugitive. The Fugitive is Harrison Ford playing Dr. Richard Gimble. Nope. (laughs) Fuck. The confidence. The confidence. Oh. I'm retroactively... We have to, we have to call him Dr. Dr. Rich, Gimble Dr. from Gimble. now on. Dr. DJI Ronan Gimble. <laughs> okay, let's try this again. Right. Harrison Ford is the fugitive... Dr. Richard Kimball, a vascular surgeon in Chicago. Dr. Kimball is accused of killing his wife and is sentenced to death in a very speedy trial. Just very efficient justice system. Super efficient. So the good doctor is on his way to prison when the other prisoners attempt to take over the bus, causing it to crash onto some train tracks. Escalation. The bus is hit by a train. The train derails, and Kimball and one of the other convicts escape. Kimball makes his way back to Chicago while being tracked by Tommy Lee Jones' Sam Gerard. Gerard is a U.S. Marshal who does not put up with any guff. Once in Chicago, Kimball and Gerard play a game of cat and mouse while Kimball attempts to find the real killer, who happens to be a man with one arm. Kimball eventually finds the killer and uncovers the plot by his former colleague, Dr. Charles Nichols, who led the development of Provasic, a supposedly revolutionary drug. Nichols will profit from the sales once the FDA approves Provasic, but Nichols has been switching the samples that showed Provasic was causing liver damage. You switch the samples! And to prevent Kimball from ratting him out, he tries to have Kimball killed, but accidentally kills his wife instead. After a big showdown on a hotel roof, Nichols is defeated, and Gerard and Kimball become best friends. And maybe more? Possibly more. Maybe. There is this almost tension between Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford at the end of the movie. They're both in the back of a cop car, and Tommy Lee Jones takes Harrison Ford's handcuffs off and gets a bag of, like, ice for his his pretty little wrists <laughs> you know they stare at each other and like it's it's really just mutual respect and admiration but there's like a little something more there almost almost this is a <laughs> one of the least horny movies it is so of, unhorny. of all the ones we've seen so far it i think really... it gets a, like a one out of ten just for that final little scene in the back of the car they just give each other a little look and it's it's very sweet and you just want to see uh, maybe two grumpy old men move out into the woods and and start like a B&B. 
the woods of Chicago. There's a lot of hills in the first part of this movie that feel... I guess maybe Wisconsin. I am pretty unfamiliar with the Midwest, particularly the Chicago area. You have much more experience there, so I will defer to you on on that matter. It's not crazy. It's not totally out of uh, the realm of possibility. It's been a while since I've been outside the Chicago area, I suppose. Well, aren't you always outside the Chicago Uh, area? Okay, smarty. (laughs) (laughs) Got her. Let's just go ahead and talk about what's great about this movie. Almost everything. There are a few little things that we'll get to yeah. that are a little strange, but it's an incredibly efficient film that wastes no time and just jumping right in and, and getting into the story and the characters are fantastic. And really, it does come down to Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford just being terrific. This felt like the film that cemented both of them as who they would kind of become, who they would be. For the rest of the decade, at least. Yeah, who they would be known for. And even longer, I'd say. Like, they're still sort of known as these archetypes, even as they've gotten into old age and gotten even crankier. (laughs) But that's generally kind of how we think of them. Dude, grumpy old men reboot with Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. I feel like that might be kind of fun, actually. I think that would be incredibly fun. I'm absolutely on board. I never even thought of that. But yeah, that would be ten- that'd be terrific. It's hard to replace Walter Matthau's energy, certainly. But I feel like Tommy Lee Jones actually could. Tommy Lee Jones is like the sequel to <laughs> to Walter Matthau. I won't be explaining further. <laughs> I am totally in agreement, though. Like, they both have the big baggy eyes, sort of droopy dog right? look. Um, I would say, like, TLJ, as I like to call him. Oh, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> That's also The Last Jedi. So this oh, is shit. extremely oh, no. funny. He has... Just a little bit more energy. He's a little... That's true, yeah. He's as gruff as Mathau, but in a different way. Like, Mathau was just a little bit more under the radar with his gruffness. Yeah. Low-key energy. Mm -hmm. This was kind of like a formative film for both of them. Yeah, for Harrison Ford, he's kind of coming out of the Star Wars, Indiana Jones of it all. I love Indiana Jones and the original Star Wars movies. He's amazing in them. It just feels like as an actor, he was trying to push beyond that. Yeah, I want to make clear that when I say it was formative for him, he was already obviously an enormous star at this point. Right, right, right. But what this movie did was kind of turn him into that next uh, the next phase era, the yeah. next phase where he became more of a dad. Even mm. though he's not a dad in this movie, he's kind of he's a dad. He's got dad energy. He was no longer the swashbuckling, like, young, you know, adventurer. adventurer. Yeah. He was, get off my plane. <laughs> he killed my wife. I bet he did kill his Ooh, wife. Who's that handsome man? <laughs> Interestingly, Tommy Lee Jones wasn't actually a huge star before this film. He was a working actor, and he'd been in quite a bit of films, but the biggest film he'd done prior to this was JFK, the Oliver Stone movie. So his star was rising, Mm. but this was the movie that really catapulted him into becoming Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. It's weird that he wasn't bigger before this. Like, he was in his 40s when this came out. It's interesting that it took him so long to to break through, and that happens a lot. Like, that's not a dig at him. But it's just funny that he became such an iconic actor who basically just played himself every time and you can see why it's just compelling and fun and he's grumpy but lovable it's that perfect combination Uh, the the mathow thing really yeah he is sort of the next generation mathow tng (laughs) 
who comes after Tommy Lee I mean, Jones? I've I've seen a lot of people talk about sort of the lack of interesting actors, yeah. character actors in particular these days. And yeah, like there are good actors out there who are fun. I would say like Tom Hardy yeah. is kind of as close as we have. Close, but he's too hot. He's too hot. He is extremely interesting as an actor. I I but that's the problem is like less everyone less is hot room. now yeah, everyone there's... is hot no one is ugly anymore well and that's the fun thing about tommy lee jones and to a much lesser extent harrison ford because he was a he's smoke hot show yeah but he was still kind of craggy he was approachably hot yeah that's the thing like now we see a lot of people who are simply unapproachably hot chris hemsworth is unapproachably hot i'm sure he's a very nice man unapproachably hot timothy chalamet is he just looks like a weird little angel man just a wisp just a he's a wells for boys kind of kind of actor uh i can't wait for dune i'm so excited to see him in that (laughs) dune's full of hot people it's got jason momoa it's got oscar isaac oscar isaac jesus uh zendaya just, they're all just they're all just face meltingly hot stellan skarsgård there we go but he's getting older too like there's no one in our generation someone someone in their mid 40s or so who can sort of pick up that mantle and for the next 30 years be our who's walter our, Matthau, tommy lee jones i mean hell, who's our basset hound boy like where's our basset hound boy i'll even settle for like who's our steve buscemi like oh man where's the texture? where's the weirdos yeah Everyone now is just so smooth. They're all on like skincare routines. I want someone who suffered from cystic acne terribly and has has not had any work done to remove the traces. We need some elder millennials who had chicken pox before the vaccine. <laughs> Especially as millennials start to reach their 40s, you know, this is the time when we'd be seeing that next generation of Tommy Lee Joneses, and it's just not happening, and maybe it will. Maybe somebody will emerge. Is it like a Will Forte? He is attractive. He's attractive. Yeah, you've got like the Lonely Island guys who are attractive, but not hot. Yeah. Uh, But can any of them really be serious actors well and just be gruff and grumpy yeah that's what we yeah that's the other part of this is is you need someone kind of craggy and grumpy or if you go the other route and do like a steve buscemi type you need someone just real fucking weird yeah he was in his 40s when fargo came out and you know he started getting big in the 90s so it's time man is it millennials need to step the fuck up are there just not roles for kind of yeah for those for that kind of man i think that's the problem the 90s had a ton of indie films you had miramax at the forefront but then a bunch of smaller production companies that were trying to be mini miramaxes and today you have a24 but you don't really have a whole lot going on in their wake there's a much smaller sphere of films where where your bruscemis and your uh TLJs can <laughs> cut their teeth and become the eventual stars yeah. that, that we know. That's my very well thought out and very well researched opinion on the matter. I, I think there's something to that. Yeah. In case our listeners aren't aware, Tommy Lee Jones won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for this movie, for this performance. And that's well and good. You're like, yeah, okay, oh, I, can, I can see that. It's a great performance. And then when you... Remember that the this was the 1994 Oscars and Schindler's List had also come out in in 93. So that means that Tommy Lee Jones beat out Rafe Fiennes in Schindler's List, which Whoopsie. is certainly interesting because yes, this isn't this is a great performance. It's so good. 
but that does feel a little strange. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It it's is interesting. Because it's funny to think about it now because it seems like, well, he's just being Tommy Lee Jones. Right. But we didn't know who that was at no. the time. And maybe his later performances were informed by the success of this one because he perfected the Tommy Lee Jones yes. uh, aura. Vibe. vibe. Yeah. But that wasn't a known commodity yet at this point. And I think that's what makes this movie so special is mm-hmm. it really just defined an era for both of these guys. Yeah. And it's just chock full of great supporting roles. Oh my god. Okay, so Tommy Lee Jones is is a U.S. Marshal. He has a team of fellow U.S. Marshals. They're all pretty different people. You know, there's mustache guy, younger guy, black guy, black lady, and Joey Pants. <laughs> Joe Pantoliano. Oh, no, I'm going to fuck up his name. Joe Pantoliano. I think that's right. Yeah. Joe Pantoliano, whose name is Cosmo, and (laughs) it's perfect. What's great about these characters in particular is, once again, it's that efficiency. Like, the writing is so crisp without being cloying at all within five minutes you know tommy lee jones's whole deal you know his whole cruise deal they're very well defined right off the bat even Celia ward who plays harrison ford's murdered wife i don't know why that's so funny wow problematic (laughs) laughing at murdered wife Be a good Twitter handle. Yeah. So she obviously doesn't get a whole lot of screen time. No. She's mostly dead. Dead. Or in the process of dying. Yeah. But they have a nice little scene together at the beginning of the film where they're at this fundraiser Mm -hmm. event and you get a good sense of their relationship. They seem like they're a a loving, fun couple who jokes around and it feels, you know, like a a very nice relationship that they have. And that's a big thing to impart in such a brief period of time because we have to get to the murder real quick so the movie can happen. So credit to Celia Ward for taking a thankless role and and squeezing the most out of it. It's a bit of a cliche at this point. The, you know, my wife is dead and I must seek revenge and we'll (laughs) talk about that later Mm. but uh i think it was a little less of a cliche i think a lot of movies probably did that after the success of the fugitive yeah there's also just a lot of good little almost cameos they weren't famous yet but it's interesting to see people pop up like julianne moore as the too hot doctor she's she's the only seal award is incredibly gorgeous i don't want to knock her uh, appearance at all but like she does fit in with her environment hot chicago wife that's the next good wife spinoff hot chicago it's a combination of (laughs) dick wolf and robert and michelle king combining forces but julianne moore you know everyone at the hospital and tommy lee jones's whole posse everyone kind of looks like a person this is this movie is full of just real fucking people and then all of a sudden there's julianne moore who is a doctor at this hospital and it's like oh my god yeah like luminous (laughs) early 90s julianne moore just like holy shit what are you doing here shouldn't you belong here modeling or something what's happening get that girl to hollywood but uh she works there jane lynch she pops up she's there uh, very fresh face jane lynch she's great you've also got interestingly neil flynn popping up as a transit cop neil flynn was the janitor from scrubs and something i'm reading just now that i didn't even notice at the time lester holt played a newscaster oh no kidding yeah oh my god i saw him on the subway once (laughs) 
Wow. Let's go into detail name, about that. Name the dropping. name dropper. Whew. Lester Holt. Yeah. Did you were you did you get butterflies? Oh, I fainted immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Hit my head get real the, bad. Get the smelling salts. The one unfortunate, not cameo, but the Nick Cersei is in this. He's this sheriff who is in charge of the county where the train crash and the bus crash happens. And he loves seeing TV lights. Uh, Nick Cersei was on Justified. And unfortunately, he's real awful. If you need to learn more, just check out his Twitter feed. He's just an insane MAGA weirdo. Which is a bummer. Well, that's kind of the funny thing about Hollywood is it has the, ooh, everyone's a liberal reputation, but there's a lot of fucking, fucking loonies out just there. absolute, like, frothing yeah. psychos. Yeah, uh, just people with too much money and too much time on their hands who are just famous enough to, be, to believe their own bullshit. Right, it's quite weird. Going back to the efficiency of this movie, 18 minutes into the movie... Harrison Ford has had a wife, had his wife murdered, stood trial for the murder of his wife, and is on his way to be fucking electrocuted. No, lethally injected. Sorry, sorry. And that's in 18 minutes. And then like five minutes after that, we've had Tommy Lee Jones and his people come in. It's just kind of amazing, especially given that this movie is two hours and 10 minutes long. That first act just races by like a train, if you will. Oh, God. Then we're basically off to the main like meat of the plot where we get into act two it's what's weird about this movie is it's hard to say it's a three-act movie it almost feels feels more like like a five act yeah it's kind of interesting that way we didn't do a full breakdown of the script (laughs) but it does feel like it could be a five-act movie which is interesting that is interesting Uh, i like seeing that and what's great about it too is that dr kimball is just a guy yeah yes he's a vascular surgeon but He doesn't have superpowers. He's not an amazing fighter. Like when he and Tommy Lee Jones and uh, the guy who plays Charles Nichols. Who? Jerome Crabby? Crabay? (laughs) How do you pronounce that? I I don't know. So sorry to the Dutch actor, Jaron Crabay. K-R-A-B-B-E. With a little accent on it. That's how you do the accent. Uh, a, a crabe patty, I guess. <laughs> so maybe we'll but just he, call him Nichols. This, this sounds awful because he is really fucking good in this role. I don't want to take away from his no, performance is. or his dignity as a human being. <laughs> it's not his fault. We don't know how to say Dutch We're dumb Americans. Things. Yeah. yeah. So there's this brawl at the end where... A tussle. Know, there's a tussle, but like they're fighting like old men who don't know how to fight, who aren't in fights. That's... That's the key. There's a lot of pushing and shoving and kind of grabbing and falling. One thing I've come to really enjoy rewatching these Harrison Ford movies is how shameless he is in not knowing how to fight and clearly not wanting to learn. <laughs> I don't know if uh, fight choreography was ever offered, you know, where any sort of training was ever offered to him. Like, hey, Harrison, you want to learn how to fight for this role? Mm. I have no way of knowing if this is true, but my heart tells me that he was like, nah. <laughs> I don't. I'll just take the. It doesn't make sense for the character to. Well, no, but that's just it. Is like it doesn't make sense for a lot of characters to know how to fight these days, and yet they all do. But because he had clout as Harrison Ford, he got to be like, well, no, 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 we don't need. <laughs> and it's great. He just kind of falls and trips and and like fall down flights of stairs. Yeah. And, and just sort of 
wrestle each other. Yeah, <laughs> and they get tired and beat up and it's exhausting. They're clearly suffering. It's just very refreshing to see that. Yeah, he doesn't have some dark history where he was he was in the mob or the militaries and you know, uh, somehow yeah. there's always some sort of like, oh, he did this and that's why he's so good at this. And it's like, what if he was just a guy? What if he just went to med school, became a surgeon and now he's in this crazy situation? How would a regular guy deal with that? And that's something this movie does pretty well. And it's funny because I remember criticisms, I think actually from my dad. Oh, boy. I do remember him explaining why Harrison Ford wouldn't have survived the fall from the the, dam. Oh, Jesus. Which, like, yes. Of course. He's right. He almost certainly would not have survived, but who cares? That's the kind of suspension of disbelief I am willing to work with because I'm having such a good time. It is crazy. It's very high. But that scene comes right after the most indelible scene in the movie probably outside of, you switch the samples. It's where Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford, it's the first time that they've talked to each other or shouted at each other Mm -hmm. in a a storm drain. It's a storm Storm drain. drain. It's a big storm drain. Anyway, Harrison Ford is pointing Tommy Lee Jones's gun at him because he has acquired it because Tom not because there was a fight but because Tommy Lee Jones fell he fell down he yeah. fell down like that's so great but you know and Harrison Ford is like I didn't kill my wife Tommy Lee Jones is like I don't care and you're like there we go he's gonna care by the end it sets everything up really really nicely it's a fun <laughs> scene it's it's well delivered obviously like that's why it's become such a famous scene mm-hmm. but it also does just establish the stakes of the movie even like the central conceit of the movie which is he didn't kill his wife and this other guy is trying to track him down because he is a fugitive of the law like that's his job so you have these two conflicting personalities and goals and we have to resolve that and it's fun because Tommy Lee Jones is the antagonist but he is not the villain. villain. Spoiler, I guess, for a 30-year-old movie, but Dr. Charles Nichols is the villain, which is a nice <laughs> little reveal at the end. And you don't need a villain for this movie. We no. know the villain is out there somewhere. Yeah, it's this mystery for Kimball and the audience. It's a twist without being a, a really... A twist. A, a twist, yeah. twist, with a capital T. It's more of a reveal. Yeah, there we go. The difference between reveal and twist, we've moved away from reveal and into twist territory, and that sucks. The writing is so good in this movie, like all around. Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones end up in this storm drain. Harrison Ford has been chased into a tunnel and there's no way out. They've blocked both ends of the tunnel and he disappears down a storm drain. Tommy Lee Jones and his team realize, okay, the only way out is this storm drain. And instead of going like, he's down there or something, he goes, we got a gopher in like a fairly level tone. Whereas a a lesser movie would have just had a sort of frantic chase and oh he's down there he's down there or something well and what we were talking about was how not cute the dialogue is it's well written good dialogue but it's not overly clever we've talked about whedonism in i think every every episode almost every uh and here was like uh, that halcyon time before whedon cadence became such a common thing and it shows that like you can be funny and clever and just well written dialogue without being obnoxious and suffocating just overwhelmingly glib there's none of that just like did that just happen 
kind of bullshit right. that yeah, I'm even seeing now in like modern Marvel trailers. Like they love that shit. Like, mm-hmm. well, that feels awkward, but I'll allow it kind of shit. And it's just like, oh, shut the fuck up and talk like just, a person. Right. That's what it really is. And what's annoying is that that has infected the vernacular too. Of everything. Uh, everyone's yeah. speech. I mean, that was certainly my speech pattern for probably most of my teens and 20s. I, that was I a had time. a blog. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. I've been I murdered. I had a blog. Oh, Steve the- killed his wife, everyone. <laughs> no, I literally did have a blog. We all had like, a blog. The reason I brought it up was because, yeah, I wrote in that similar yep. vernacular of just over-the-top, epic bacon win kind of oh, yeah. speak. I don't know if you remember the Pop Watch blog from Entertainment Weekly. That was no. kind of one of the... Oh, Jesus. Did you write for that? I did, um, but it was... Oh, I'm going to find some oh, no, samples and put them in the please. show notes. No, no. There was one I was so proud it got like three or four hundred comments. I was an intern there in 2009. So this was this was peak blog. Yeah. Peak blog. Yeah. I think I, I reread the post. It was about like books that you reread a lot. It's this weird defensive cutesy bullshit. Uh, <laughs> and I really hope no one looks for it. Uh, I'm going oh to. Oh, God. But I was so proud because it, it started a lot of conversations. Oh. <laughs> was uh, there discourse? There was. Th- this was before, like, discourse was really a thing. We have to go back. Let's uh, go back to blogs. I had something very almost equal to being published in Entertainment Weekly. I had a blog spot <laughs> uh, that was just a blatant ripoff of Hyperbole and a Half. Oh. Much less oh. well written. Oh, sweetie. Yeah, yeah. I thought it would get me a book deal. It didn't. I mean, that's what I, that that was the only reason we we blogged. Absolutely. Like, like this is my ticket. Obviously, and yeah. I did know someone who had a blog. A network or a studio optioned her blog. Wow. And then nothing ever really came of it. Anyway. Back to the fugitive. The fugitive. Just so many like little wonderful gems in here. They clearly shot in Chicago. I hate say. I hate. I know it. I know what you're gonna say. Say it. Say it. <laughs> I hate it when people are like, um, the the city is a is a character, and it, uh, that fucking that's annoying as shit. But truly. You get a real sense of place. They get Chicago down really, really well. You go from the sort of glitzy north side enclave where Dr. Kimball lives. And then you've got the weird south side basement apartment that the Polish landlady and her child... Pedophile son? Yeah, pedophile drug dealing son. Who is amazing. This actor is very short role. He is indicative of this film's texture. And we've talked about texture in other movies, including Men in Black, another Jones Zone special. The movie just understands how to populate all its supporting roles and even just minor one or two lines. It's filled with people who just give it a sense of place. It feels like a Chicago that really exists rather than just like, hey, check it out. We got a deep dish pizza over here. <laughs> it's the bears. The the real Chicago-ness of this comes from the St. Patrick's Day parade and dying the river green, which is a fun thing to see, I'll admit. I had a fun time seeing that when I was in college. So I think they just pulled just random Chicago people because the landlord's son, this is his only credit. Lonnie Sima's only credit. He nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. There's, you know, he gets arrested for being a a pedophile drug dealer and tells the cops, the extremely incompetent Chicago PD, 
Yeah, I want to talk about the movie's politics. Yeah, he tells the incompetent Chicago PD detectives, oh yeah, that guy, yeah, he's renting from my mom. Like, And he takes this just enormous bite of a sandwich. (laughs) It's it's just the perfect punctuation to the moment. literally making a meal out of his scene. (laughs) More and more, I'm coming around to the supporting cast taking a movie from being good to great. Yeah. Like, it's those little things that just give a movie texture and rewatchability. You feel like you're in a world. You're in... You feel like you live in a society. (laughs) What's funny is the movie never gets bogged down. It has all these little people and it's... You know, there's a lot happening. What helps keep things moving is the score. This is a James Newton Howard joint. Good score. It's good. It's good shit. It's propulsive. It feels a little 80s-ish, but clearly on our way into the 90s and also very, feels very much of its own, yeah, it's, it's, its not, own thing. It's not too synthy. Uh, it's certainly not orchestral. It's no. sort of this weird, almost jazzy kind of thing happening, but it, it works really well. And like you said, it helps the propulsive nature of the film. And it's so interesting because you can hear this score very much in ER. They were probably shooting the pilot for ER when The Fugitive came out, shooting that stuff in Chicago. And James Newton Howard did the main title theme for ER, which set the tone for the rest of the show. So that's just kind of a fun little intersection for me personally. Just a perfect mix of all your interests of Chicago, ER, and Harrison Ford. Ford and Tommy Lee and Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. My God. Wow. And what I really liked and was kind of surprised by was after the blistering pace of the first act, where we set everything up and just burn through all of this, like the courtroom, it could have been a courtroom drama. Like, yeah, that could have been an entire movie. It feels kind of movie. like it was. It does feel like they definitely cut some stuff out. Mm-hmm. I think they shot more and then decided to focus more on like the... Finding out who the one-armed man was and and the cat and mouse. But the movie actually does slow down quite a bit after Kimball gets to Chicago. And I don't mean that as a criticism. It's actually kind of nice because we get to just live with these characters and you can feel the net closing in on Mm -hmm. Kimball and and you know it's coming to a head. You know it's going to come to this big conclusion, but you want to see if he can figure out who killed his wife before that happens. And sure enough, it all comes to a big confrontation at the hotel. The cardiologist convention. That very popular place for action sequences to happen. So before we get into this week's kind of unorthodox comparison corner, (laughs) did just want to mention real quick the interesting and overall very good politics of The Fugitive. And what I liked about it is how matter of fact they were. The politics of this movie are generally that the Chicago PD are kind of dumbasses they're just clowns just just fucking clowns clowns. and that the pharmaceutical companies are bad yeah those are really the only two major political stances i would say the film takes and it's not in your face about any of them in fact it's just treated as a matter of fact like Mm -hmm. oh yeah devlin mcgregor the pharmaceutical company is bad yeah they're evil they're constantly trying to get doctors to come on expensive caribbean fishing trips and giving kickbacks to doctors and and all sorts of horrifying unethical shit and Chicago PD is dumb. They've they got the wrong guy. They do that a lot. That led to a moratorium on the death penalty in Illinois that 
continues to this day. Yeah, they're dumb. They got the wrong guy and they're reactionary. And, you know, they even say like, oh, don't go out there. They'll shoot you. They think you're a cop killer. So they're going to just shoot Mm -hmm. you. And you hear them say, you know, like, if you see him, just take the shot. And it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, it's nice when these people were just treated as kind of doofuses. Yeah. Instead of the rah, rah, rah heroism of, oh, he's a cop Mm -hmm. he's a he's a hero he's risking his life it's like these are just a bunch of reactionary dumbasses who just are violent by violent nature and bad at their jobs and not good at their jobs they're not even they didn't even get the real killer no they didn't even pursue at all this very obvious lead that was that was given to them in this case it's against a rich white guy so it's you know yeah and i mean it is very pro marshals are cops well uh, that is what so. i was going to say is like the u.s marshals are treated much more heroically like tommy lee jones is. although even that it's not even heroic it's just like competent yeah these guys know what they're doing yeah so there's a little bit of that but overall i do like that there's just this sort of tension between the different departments mm-hmm. and like between in the U.S. Marshals, the Sheriff's Office, the Chicago PD, yeah. and that these people are called out for being, they just want to be on TV and mm-hmm. they just want to kill whoever they can. They want to use the press to do their jobs, basically. Yeah. There's a scene where the extremely perfect Chicago, all of the Chicago detectives are, are just really well amazing. <laughs> Again, part of that texture. Yeah, and I, I know that a lot of them were real actors, but some of them really are people that just, you feel like they just took them off the street and this was the only movie they ever did but they are talking with tommy lee jones and they're like well don't you want to use the press and he's like no you morons i want him to get comfortable like i want him to think we're not on him this is not fucking rocket science you clowns and then for the pharmaceutical company to just be treated like as a de facto villain we don't need to explain like oh actually they're bad it's like yeah they're bad of course yeah, they're bad. It's, yeah, it's taken as, that is the status quo. Yeah. This company will do anything to make a dollar. Yeah. And it's personified in Nichols, but it's very clear that like the it's company itself. Yeah. Like, their head of security is the guy who actually killed Kimball's wife. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a given. And it's less and less common to see that. It happens a little bit more now. The Old Guard, the Netflix movie, has a pharmaceutical CEO as a villain. And that's fun. Which is fun. It's one of the better parts of the movie, which is, you know, not a great movie. Yeah. It's not like taking a stand. It's no, not, no. You know, it, again, this it's is the, not a political it's film. It's the one water in which the characters all swim yeah that and that's what makes it work and not feel preachy or like it it is a message of any kind it's just natural yeah more of that please so just a, a really great straightforward simple fairly small movie yeah that is nonetheless propulsive and interesting mm-hmm. and keeps you engaged because it's a mystery it's a mystery yeah. we are being given the exact same information at as the characters at the same time as they are and uh, for the most part there's a couple odd little dream sequences oh okay well actually yeah we can get into that before comparison corner which is kind of my only criticism of the film there's the opening credits and then i think there are two sort of dream sequences slash flashbacks? flashbacks that are it's a little unclear exactly what they are because they do happen while Harrison Ford is asleep so it is sort of a dream sequence but they're also showing events that he could he, not possibly he have wasn't seen. there yeah. for he was doing surgery yeah so I think it's 
supposed to be sort of a dream slash flashback. Yeah. They interrupt the momentum. One of them happens just after he jumps off the dam. Yeah, we uh, don't we didn't need that. And it's like it's early enough in the movie that we know what the stakes are. We know his wife is dead. Yeah. Like we just saw it happen. So it feels the filmmakers didn't trust the audience to remember or that. Maybe it was the studio, maybe it was yeah. a Warner Brothers thing or something. It definitely it it was reminiscent of a thing that is popular in reality TV now slash, you know, I think it started in kind of the mid 2000s where you can't trust your reality TV audience. You don't know when they're coming in either. But so after every fucking commercial break, there's this little weird recap of what just happened. And that's kind of what it only happens, I don't know, two or three times in this movie. I want to say only two times, maybe three. Yeah. Might be three. But those are kind of like the only weird things well, where you're like, ah, we don't we don't need this. They're also just weirdly edited. Like there, yeah. there's these weird sort of, you know, they're inverting the image and they're doing weird slow motion and black and white and kind of just playing around with the footage in a way that is distracting rather than evocative of anything. Mm-hmm. It feels silly. It feels like an old, like, Unsolved Mysteries yeah, sequence, yeah. you know? Like when they're <laughs> recapping what happened. Uh, or Rescue 911, for those of you who remember that show. Oh, man. You know, and that's sort of a relic of, it feels like, 90s, maybe even 80s filmmaking. It just yeah. feels a little dated. For a film that otherwise, it feels great like yeah. there, are, there are no real issues with the filmmaking maybe a couple of the shots of him jumping off the dam you can tell it's a dummy they threw over <laughs> yeah but you know again i'm so willing to let that slide because well, everything else looks great i mean the train the train crash derailment yeah. in particular looks amazing and i'm sure it was a mix of forced perspective and miniatures, miniatures. uh no cgi that i could see i don't think they had the budget or technology for that at that point so however they did it they did a fantastic job it looks amazing it holds up as well as anything you'd see made today and in fact i think anything made today is going to age more poorly because it's definitely going to all be cgi Mm -hmm. not even miniatures and so five or ten years from now when the technology has progressed it's just not going to look as good Mm. any of the other parts that like the dam or something it's very minor yeah. Overall, this is a fantastic movie that just cruises right along. Yeah. So this sort of goes into the comparison corner. We could have watched U.S. Marshals because that is sort of a spinoff starring Tommy Lee Jones. And, you know, we love Tommy Lee Jones, but it's not quite the same, is it? No. We also could have watched the TV series from the 60s that this is based on. <laughs> or we could have watched the TV series that they just a couple years ago. Oh my god, that's right. I think has already been canceled, but don't quote me on that. Instead of doing a comparison corner on any of those, we thought we'd talk a little bit about sort of the more recent trend of old guy seeks revenge, Mm -hmm. because this feels like the progenitor of that whole subgenre of action movies, years before it really took off. Yeah, Harrison Ford's object here is not to seek revenge. He does not want to kill the one armed man he simply wants to find the one-armed man and find proof that he is innocent that's all that's what i really like about this movie is that it has arguably bigger stakes because he has to clear his name Mm -hmm. a lot of these movies not all of them i suppose but a lot of these movies are about seeking retribution for a murdered wife or family sort of that punisher kind of thing there's not a lot of stakes in that like somebody's trying to catch 
him or stop him or arrest him or whatever. It's just that he's real mad and real sad and he has to get his revenge. And this one could have easily been a revenge movie, but it's about him clearing his name and it adds that extra layer of tension of like, is he going to be able to do it in time before he gets caught? It's a shockingly non-violent movie. Like, yeah, there's the tussle at the end. Um, The one-armed man accidentally shoots Neil Flynn's transit transit cop. cop. Tommy Lee Jones shoots at Harrison Ford in in the courthouse. And there's Seal Ward's murder. But And the the other convict he gets shot. So like there's there's this violence at, at kind of the beginning. But it's kind of matter of fact and not you, gratuitous. Not gratuitous and it's also like no one is good at fighting <laughs> that shouldn't be. The interpersonal violence is nowhere near a level that feels like is a basic requirement to have an action film made these days. You can't make the fugitive anymore. I'm going to be that fucking person, but you can't make the fugitive anymore because it isn't kicky punchy. It isn't shooty. That sounds like baby shit and it is, but think about that the next time you watch a movie that's just all kicky punchy. And all shooty. I think the shooty is the bigger problem. That is the uh, bigger problem. Yeah, because kicky punchy, at least there's an art to it. There's, there can be. Well, that yes, that's is. true. Yeah, I think this subgenre definitely had plenty of movies come out between the fugitive and Taken, which I would say was sort of the rebirth within popular culture. Like Taken was a phenomenon, really. Yeah. And then it spawned just more and more movies. Uh, you could say stuff like John Wick and mm-hmm. then Nobody, even stuff like Atomic Blonde, where it, it kind of, yeah. oh, it's gender reversed and uh, all that stuff. Like, And that's all fine. But movies like Taken abandon the normal guy, regular guy, everyday Joe aesthetic and decided to make the characters have some sort of dark past. Mm-hmm. Uh, some sort of skill set that would make them particularly good at killing the bad guys. Mm -hmm. That's not to say a movie that has that is inherently bad, but it became such a trope of the the subgenre. Like, I know it's sort of blasphemy to critique the John Wick films, but the problem with John Wick is that he is a superhero Mm -hmm. and to a lesser extent a lot of the Liam Neeson movies particularly right after Taken because he did a bunch of them that weren't even in the Taken genre he also is basically a superhero it removes that tension because John Wick's gonna be just fine he's gonna shoot his way out of the situation he'll get a little tired a little winded you know he'll get a little banged up but he'll be fine because he is this unkillable force it gets a little boring I really like John Wick 3 of the three movies Mm. that one's my favorite because they get rid of most of the gun violence and focus more on the kicky punchy (laughs) and it's much more fun to watch because of that whereas the first two films there is some kicky punchy but it's mostly guns and at a certain point it's like yeah i get it he's really good at aiming a gun but that's that's just kind of boring and it's nice to see a guy like dr kimball who is just in over his head and is just kind of scraping by and just getting out of these situations and you're like oh how's he gonna wriggle his way out of this one and then he wriggles (laughs) out it's like oh good for him i never worry like how's john wick gonna wriggle his way out of this one it's like oh he's just gonna be unstoppable yeah he's gonna sustain an insane number of injuries that would kill anyone else but for reasons they're not gonna kill him great there's a hollowness too. the action in the fugitive is driven by the central mystery he needs to evade capture because he has to figure out 
quote, who killed his wife. And it's very believable action and it's nothing crazy, minus the train crash. In the guy seeking revenge genre, the story is just so hollow. The emotional underpinning is just, it's not really there, even though it should be because, oh, murdered wife or raped daughter or whatever the fuck. Murdered puppy. Murdered puppy, which is at least different. I'll give them that. I mean, that one hit different for me. It was like, oh man, I would seek I w- revenge too. Obviously. But at the same time, it's because the pursuit of revenge is in and of itself hollow. It's never restorative. That sounds very social justice-y and new agey, but it is true. It, that, I think that's why it feels so hollow. And it's not wrong to enjoy that kind of movie, Like, but it just it doesn't appeal to me. Well, there's a a hypocrisy to these movies because they all generally tend to have the same message of like, oh, revenge is actually empty. Like you won't find what you're looking for. Some wise sage will impart that wisdom to the guy who then ignores it and gets revenge. And that's great that he actually gets revenge. Like the movie will kind of throw that out there almost as window dressing. Like, all right, we got to get this out of the way. Revenge is actually not uh, worth it. Now to the revenge. Yeah. In all transparency, I haven't seen Nobody yet, the Bob Odenkirk yeah. movie. I love Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. And I'm happy for his success. And I've heard mostly good things about Nobody, but from what I understand, he is also given this sort of dark backstory where he's actually was once really good at kicking ass or whatever. And like... I'm just so tired. I'm tired. One, well, and what's so great about Bob Odenkirk is that he has that bottled up rage that's what made him so funny and so good Mm. in Mr. Show and Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and I'd rather see him as just a truly normal guy like a a branch manager of a bank of a Cinnabon of a a Cinnabon Mm. and him being full of rage but not really knowing how to direct it and maybe he learns some stuff as he goes along maybe somebody teaches him some stuff but I want him to just be a basic dude yeah and have to figure out sort of like Harrison Ford in The Fugitive where these are normal guys in extraordinary circumstances and they have to use their wits they're not good at fighting no it's bar instinct fighting not muay thai or whatever yeah well and if you want like a martial arts film i'm all for that hell yeah Uh, but like not every movie should be a martial arts film if it's just some old craggy white guys then let's see them just Just, tussle that's one thing that the tv show warrior is Mm. really really good at is showcasing like you get your crazy awesome martial arts fight scenes and then the fucking irish cops are just beating the shit out of each other. There's no real style to it. And on the rare occasions where you do get some overlap and you do kind of see some Irish cops do a little kind of MMA almost, you're yeah. like, that doesn't, doesn't feel, feel real, right? Quite right. Like jumping up and like throwing a punch yeah, in the air. It's like, but for the most part, that really, really works. Overall, this is a pro warrior podcast. Yes, we uh, love it. If you haven't seen it's it, it's so good. It's on HBO Max. It was on Cinemax. Now it's on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. All the Maxes. Check it out. It's, yeah, it's season really fun. three should be coming out sometime soon. I think. I hope they, so. Yeah. I think it got delayed, like everything did. Yeah. But, uh, so that's actually a good example of, for the most part, with those rare exceptions of like the kind of MMA stuff. Yeah. That is kind of how it should be. Like if it's just some big burly white guy. He he should just throw dumb punches. Just mm-hmm. a lot of weight behind it, but no real style. Yeah, very uh, Deadwood. What was great about Deadwood was David Milch was very conscious about people are just getting their asses kicked 
It's not like a fight fight. It's just beatings. Just rolling around in yeah. the mud. Yeah. Just getting humiliated. Yeah. Especially because most, the most of them were drunk. Right. You know, you're not in fighting shape exactly. So that is our review of The Fugitive from 1993. God, it's so good. It's another one of those movies where you're like, oh my God, that guy. Or, oh shit, I forgot about that. Like, just delight at almost every turn. Great performances from everybody, setting a new standard for both Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones moving forward. Getting Tommy Lee Jones to be a bona fide star, that was nice. I'm glad it did that. You know, it's a cliche to say they can't make movies like that anymore, but I can't think of the last movie that's even close to similar uh, to this kind of film where it's just a guy in a tough spot and how does he get out of it? smart reasonably fit and that's that's kind of it weirdly maybe no country for old men oh uh, yeah which kind of plays on that archetype and obviously doesn't end the same way but also has tommy lee jones so that's fun yeah does there will be blood count no no no. i haven't seen there will be blood yeah no it doesn't (laughs) (laughs) but yeah they're, they're pretty few and far between these days and even no country as much as i love that movie is it's sort of a meta movie about the western archetype in Mm. general so it's it's a little hard to say that it's the same kind of movie it's rare vanishingly rare yeah and it's a bummer because i i just want to see a grumpy guy try to figure out who murdered his wife yeah the comedic version of this is catch me if you can which is great i I love that that is a great movie or you know it could be a a grumpy woman trying to solve the murder of her husband we can flip this around i would love i'm down to clown like the chicago pd fucking clowns oh no we've just been banned from the city of chicago let him try <laughs> i'll fly into medway they never check oh, that oh midway burn but anyway midway is great actually midway's is a, midway great? midway's a great little airport I they had a pot belly <laughs> like everyone in chicago <laughs> Oh. Oh, ho, ho, ho. oh no i'm gonna drag you to chicago and i do have a great time i mean i've only been once and i did enjoy it very much so i'm looking forward to going again mm-hmm. so on that note thanks for listening tune in next time when we either have another ford fiesta or continue our journey into the jones zone maybe the smith space who knows or maybe something completely different. We haven't done a good Reeves review yet. That that's feels like true. that's time. There's a lot of Keanu. Block. Yeah, there's a lot of Keanu we need to cover. I'll cover the, that. The Keanu corner. Hey, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.